Welcome to Him We Proclaim, a podcast devoted to the preaching ministry of the Mount Church. Know that the following sermon is specifically intended to build up our local church in Clemson, South Carolina. Feel free to listen along and distribute what you hear, while prioritizing what we pray is the faithful preaching ministry of the healthy local church to which you meaningfully belong. With that, all grace to you as you listen to this episode of Him We Proclaim. invite you to open your Bibles to John's Gospel. It's going to be John chapter 1. This morning we're going to be studying verses 1 through 18, so the entire prologue. So John writes, beginning in John 1, verse 1, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all, who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh. We're supposed to gasp. And dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, How magnificent. <laughs> now please, give the Holy Spirit to do wonders in our hearts this morning. More than we could ask or imagine, or maybe we walked through the doors and, you know, thought we'd pick up a, a thing or two, an application or two, and you smack us here with solid gold. So we just pray that you would help us to have hearts to receive it and to bear much fruit by it. You are life and light, so come and enlighten the eyes of our hearts and give us more and more of the life that is in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You've maybe seen the, uh, the dating app commercial where, the ga- where a gal is she's searching for this perfect match. And she comes upon a screenshot of a guy that sort of favor- favors Fabio. You seen that? Maybe not. Anyway, he's handsome, I guess. And his bio checks out and whatnot. And so she's expecting this sort of ideal person that she hopes will meet all of her wants and all of her needs and all of her specific requirements. However, fast forward to their meeting, and as you might suspect, he looks like a more emaciated version of me. And what then of his bio (laughs) and everything else. He's lied. He's not at all what he portrayed himself to be. And so there is major disappointment. The girl is let down. Her hopes are dashed. They're not met. And of course, the ad is about an app that will not misrepresent the truth in that way. What you see is what you'll get. There will be a one-to-one between the portrayal and the person, between the person you think you'd like to know but don't, and the person that actually shows up, flesh and blood, to meet you. You will have your perfect match. When it comes to God, isn't this our deepest desire? To know Him truly. I'd hope so, because as John is going to say much, much later, in John 17, 3, to know God truly is nothing less than eternal life. (laughs) But then the question has always been, can we know Him like that? Can we know Him like that? Can we truly know God at all? I mean, you just do a survey of world religions, go around and ask folks, "What what is God like, and you're like to get as many portrayals as people that you ask. And isn't this one of the many cover-ups for continuing in sin and, and unbelief? Well, if I could only see God, because I don't trust the app. But hear me out. What if, what if God took on flesh? and blood, and dwelt among us? What if He showed up, and in doing so, proved to be more than all our immortal souls could ever want or need? And to be sure, such a gift is hardly for unbelievers only. Yes, John writes, to move the soul to faith in Christ, but no less, no less to to root the soul that has believed. In Christ, John is writing for the Nicodemuses and the Samaritans and the dissenting family members. Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him in John 7 until much later. It's written for Pontius Pilate. What is truth? Right? But it's no less written for Martha's and for Mary's and for Thomas's and for Peter's, the disoriented and the doubting and the denying the always needy believer. We need to truly know our God. We need to palpably know His heart. We need to transformationally know the truth and grace of God. And John writes then to sweetly urge us, just then fix your heart's eye on Jesus, when it comes to knowing God, what a kindness divine that we have more than the fallen wishes and gropings of blind-hearted people. We have Jesus. Well, man, what a book we have before us. Beloved, I desperately need, I desperately need, what one called the the holy gospel of Jesus, according to John, offers to us. And I bet you do too. This walk and talk with God. A seeing of Him. And a hearing of Him. A beholding of His glory as it's been given to us in Christ. So, here we go. 
starting with a prologue that, as ancient saints put it, ought to be written not in black or red, but gold. Even for Scripture, the content here is magisterial, it's royal, and just so it only means to really touch on many of the main themes that John is going to teach throughout his gospel, starting with this, the Word and His glorious person. His glorious person. So look with me, picking up verse 1. John does something unique to begin his gospel. You see the the other gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and especially Mark, initially focus on the beginning of Christ's earthly life and ministry. John's going to do that too, but first, as will be typical of John, he leads us by his beginning to Christ's eternality. It's a big word. We're going to unpack it, okay? So, to the gold we go. When John says, in the beginning was the Word, he means to draw our minds back to those first words in Genesis. In the beginning. He's telling us that ahead of creation was the Word. Implying that the Word is not a created thing. The Word predates creation. The Word predates time. The Word is greater than cosmic history. Before it was, John says, the Word was. And this would have been fairly novel, if not even polemical in John's day. It would have caused a stir because even then, folks were familiar with this notion of the Word, but always as a thing that God created. But here, John takes this notion of the Word and he like just infinitely elevates it by saying there is a Word, but the true Word is before angels and stars and the earth, and people. The word is before us, it's before creation. And you think, that's awesome and polemical, just wait. He continues. He says, the word was with God, and then what does he say? The word was God. Wow. So to be sure, There is a distinction here between the Word and God, and yet there is an equivalence. A relationship is being expressed here between two who are one. They are separate and they are same. The Word is distinct from God and the Word was God. And this is John's actual emphasis here in these first couple of verses. We've said the Word is not a creature. Not a creature. But neither is the Word an idea or a mere philosophical term for intelligence or an invention of human reason. The Word is not even an it. What we're seeing here is that the Word is a person. So what kind of We're breaking our our, our mental capacities here, okay? The Word is a person. The Word, as verse 2 begins, is a He, and preeminently higher, that He, that person, is again God. It's emphatic in the Greek, okay? And we can add this to all of that, that the one who's actually writing these things down for us, is an ethnically Jewish man who would have wholeheartedly affirmed monotheism. One God. But apparently, in writing this, that the Word didn't just have something divine about Him, but that He was fully divine, that He was in fact God, John sees No problem there at all. In fact, it seems that as he's reflected on this person, he's come to believe he'd be blaspheming if he were to withhold this identity from him. So John, who was closer to this person maybe than anyone, 
refuses to withhold the identity. Indeed, he's most explicit about it. This person, distinct from God, is yet also God, not two gods, but two persons and one God, and not to worry, the Holy Spirit is going to be added as we go. But again, here, the Bible is clear, and we need to be clear also, against a plethora of heresies and slights, this person, called the Word, is no one less than true God of true God. Any person claiming less for this person is most likely a lost person. They haven't seen Him in truth. They aren't alive from the dead. They know no true Savior because, you see, the only one who can save us from God is God. John here says the Word was God. And he only further cements this for us in verse 3 by saying, and oh, by the way, there's not a thing that's ever existed, but it was made through Him, ho-hum, one short verse, verse 3, but He is the agent of all creation. Let me throw out a wild thought for you to develop later on. Go to Genesis 1. You go to Genesis 1, you read of God. He's there. And even of the Spirit, He's there. Where is this person? Sit on this. He's in those words. And God said. And then when everything else followed, right? Let there be light or whatever it was. And God said. This person is the said. (laughs) He's The Word. That's wild, right? When God created, He did so through the Word. He did so through this person. And so all that is, has been, or will be, owes itself to Him. It has zero existence apart from this person. And so galaxies and stars and Planets and oceans and deserts and forests and peoples and hippos and lions and tigers and bears. Yeah, oh my. And sharks and slugs and hummingbirds and flowers and most certainly dogs. And I don't know about cats. Whatever's created was created through the Word. In His distinct role... He's the creator, and everything then bears his mark, says he's the Lord. And as Paul is later going to develop for us, everything then exists for him. He's the goal of all creation. We walk out there this afternoon, we walk out into the theater of the Word, who's God. We see his evident glory all around us. To go on, I think we need to ask more specifically, why is this person called the Word? Why is he called the Word? And the answer, as I see it, is that God's always, and by always I mean eternally, determined for His glory and for our joy to reveal Himself, to make Himself known. And so the answer to to why is He called the Word is that God is always intended to give a divine revelation of Himself. What John is saying, as Hebrews also says, is that while God had spoken in various ways prior, creation, providence, prophets, passages, and whatnot, the goal was always a one-to-one self-disclosure. A revelation that fulfilled and surpassed all other revelations of God for all time. God always intended not to be aloof from us, not to leave us in the dark, not to be silent, but to speak. To reveal Himself supremely through His Son. And the Word, as we'll see, is God the Son. And God the Son is, as it says elsewhere, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint 
of His nature. You see Him, you see God. Remember Philip? Show us the Father. What does Jesus say? Have I been with you so long and still you do not know me? You see Him, you see God. You see the Son, you see the Father. The Word is called the Word because He's the direct communication of God's mind and God's heart and God's very own person. The Word is God. I mean, just think. Just think. Now, to say He was with God before creation, that alone, I mean, what a statement. That's a person who could, theoretically, disclose quite a bit about God with unparalleled accuracy. That's a person, I think, if we meet that person, we, he, he would get our attention. But when John goes full John, and you'll know what that means as we go along, and says this person is God, he's saying infinitely more about him than like he's just an angel or something. This person is able to give a perfectly full disclosure. An absolute exposition of God. My son, Luke, may be able to describe me very well. He's been around me quite a bit. He's seen a lot of me. Some good, some not so good. And that for 11 years. But he's not able to describe me as well as my wife. Because she's known me for... 20 years, 20 years, and that far more intimately. She's observed more of me. I've communicated more of myself to her in ways that I have not to Luke, and still, she does not know me as fully as me, as I know myself. She'd have to be co-equal and co-existent and co-existential with me to give a perfectly full disclosure of me. People can't give that of other people, much less of God. But the Word, He can and has, and we can just point to Him. And we're to see how necessary this is as we come to verses 4 and 5 where John brings us to the eternal and essential properties of the Word. What's he say there? He says, in Him was... Life, and the life was the light. Then you add something of men. We need to see something being presumed there, which he plainly states in verse 5. From the vantage of eternity past, because that's where John is dwelling right here, John's looking ahead as a resident of a presently sinful world, and implies this about what will be Adam's fallen race. We are spiritually dead and dark. Sin will kill us. It will strip us of a pulse for God. It will take away the life that used to be in us so that we live in and love the dark. We live in and love, that is, what's opposed to God. We would be hopelessly lost there except for what John reveals to us about the Word. So we are dead. In Him is life. <laughs> so we are darkened that life is the light of men. Where it's given, John says, death is defeated and darkness is dispersed. John is not a dualist. Okay? There are not equal powers in the universe dueling it out, dark and light. No. As at first, when God said, let there be light and there was Light and the darkness lost, so it can be in a person's heart. Hmm. And this is the peculiar ministry of the Word. 
towards us. In Him alone is what we all most essentially need in us. We need spiritual life and light. And He is going to get a tongue so He can say to us, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, and also the light of the world. Man. I'm the one who can raise your heart from the dead and enable you to see and believe and be saved. And on that note of saving faith, let's move ahead to the Word and His greatest prophet. We'll pick up the pace, picking up in verse 6. And having heard what was just said, uh, perhaps you're wondering, why does the divine word need a human witness? Strictly speaking, I don't know that he does. But God, so much kindness, always seems ready to give us what he thinks best for us. He knows us and He knows that we need as much help, again, dead and dark, we need as much help as we can get to prepare our hearts for the Word who can give life and light. And in that vein, the greatest preparer the Word ever had was, we see verse 6, a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is not John, the author of the gospel. It's John. We know him as the Baptist. Let's leave denominational things aside. John the Baptist. And he's brought up here because his ministry is inextricably related to the entrance of God, the Lord, into the world. John is the prophet of the Lord. His special task is of preparing the way for God. And it's in the Scriptures. It's foretold in the Scriptures. So every prophet prior to John, they, they saw the divine Christ at a great distance. Right? But John, John is going to be able to point his finger at him. There he is. He's here. Right? That's next week, so come back. Next week. Here, we have mainly to see that John is an historical witness to the one so far called the Word. We might hear all this talk about the pre-incarnate Word and instantly place it in the category of like Narnian fantasy or something like that. And so John the Beloved brings up John the Baptist. Why does he do that? Because no one doubts the historicity of John the Baptist. No one. And John the Baptist bore witness to someone else as the very embodiment of God. And whoever that is, he is the hope of man. This John roots what we call the incarnation in true history. And, as we said, in history as an event foreknown and foretold in Scripture, John is sent from God to be divine verification on the human and historical identity of the Word of life. And for our sake, I'd have us notice a few things I'm sure we'll steep in longer a week from now. But for now, just notice the connections between John's identity, mission, goal, and deference here. <clears throat> John does not bear witness for no reason. Now he bears witness because, what does it say? He came as a witness. He came as a witness. So, realizing our identity, our missional identity, is mission critical. And so too is realizing the goal. What is the goal for John? Is it to preach himself? Is it to make much of himself? Is it to gain a following for himself? 
That actually is what some of his disciples thought. But it's not at all what John taught. And that's where we see his deference. Again, mission critical is this deference. If I think that I'm the true light, I will take the spotlight away from the word of life. And just there, I'll also do awful damage to every one of your souls. If we want to be of the greatest benefit to souls, John's goal has to be our resolve. And it's verse 7. Bear witness about the light that all might believe in Him. Through us, perhaps, as it says, but in Him. As one put it, John was sent and went, quote, to bring people to decide. (laughs) He came to make uh, that definitive act of faith something that a person needed to make. Beloved, is that our passion? Is it to take dead and darkened souls by the hand and lead them far as we can along straightened paths to the word of life and light? Do we realize our our identity? What does Paul say about us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? He says, along with himself, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. You'll find us and our mission in Scripture too, by the way. It's called the church. And as heirs of a a clear-as-day gospel and a completed canon of Scripture and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the least of us is greater even than John, Jesus says, in Luke chapter 7. Wow. Here are some questions then. Is our bearing witness all the greater? Is our deference all the greater? And is our goal in life Who are you and I actively engaging with the gospel? Who might we actively engage with the gospel? As Christians, being a witness to Christ is not just something we do. We need to understand it's something we are. And therefore, May John be a light to us in it. Well, he is a bridge for us in our text. And so we come now to consider the Word and His gracious purpose. Why again does the divine Word get a human witness? Some answer to that is how, by God's grace, it's the very means that God has ordained to, here it is, regenerate our hearts. If redemption is to be had Resurrection is required. And if resurrection comes, it only comes through revelation. It only comes through preaching the word about Christ. So, let's pick up in verse 9. We see that it is the act of light to shine. The sun in the sky can do nothing else but shine. Give off light and life. And so it is with the Word of God. He gives light to everyone. Now, from what immediately follows, we know this doesn't mean He gives spiritual life to everyone. It means that, again, whether by creation or or providence or Scripture or in time, a life and ministry in flesh and blood, the Word gives clear evidence of Himself to all. He, he is not hidden. He's never been hidden. At no point in history has He carried out His office in private. And if you say, it seems like He actually has been hiding. I've never seen Him. Well, that's kind of the point here. That's where John's going. 
His next words are for you just as much as for any. He says, the word was in the world he made, radiantly shining upon it, but the world did not know him, was ignorant of him. Now, the world of nature knew him. The world of angels knew him. But the the world of men did not know him. Right? There's a storm on the, on the sea. Jesus, wake up. He wakes up. He rebukes them. Peace, be still. And what do they do? They obey him. Why? Because they, they recognize the voice of their master. The demons, they see him in the, the synagogues. They're like, I know exactly who he is. They can't help but name him. But the hearts of people like you and me observed him and found him a stranger to despise and reject. Why? Because by the fall, our hearts are naturally estranged from him. Again, we're we're spiritually dead and dark. So much so that no manner of external advantages can ultimately help us. That's what he confirms in verse 11. We see the Word was not only in the world, but what? He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. The Word was always going to be a Jewish man. right? He was going to be the seed of Abraham. And even before it, just think now, as the Word of God, did He not have His sovereign seat in the midst of the people of Israel? And how did they, though lavished with sign after sign after sign after miracle after miracle after miracle, how did they treat the Word? They largely rejected it. They did not receive Him even when He came to them. That's just to say that however shocking, it was no surprise that they too, no different than the world of ignorance around them, despised and rejected Him. Sin shows no partiality in who it blinds. And for that very reason, it is no mark against Christ that His own, who should have known, rejected Him. That is what dead and dark hearts do. The sun can shine on a blind man all day long. The blind man sees no light. And so Brian, we should... We should despair of seeing people saved. No. The Word, again, is the Word of life and light. He raises the dead and He gives sight to the blind of heart. Through our testimony and by His almighty grace, He causes people out of this world to be born of another world. You see it in verses 12 and 13? I think it's probably the center of the passage. Some, many billions in fact, though once enslaved to sin, have now received Him, have now believed upon His name. And all who have and ever will have done so on account of a sovereign and gracious work of God called a new birth. Talk about major theme in the Gospel of John. New birth. What does he say here? He says, we had no ability at all to overcome our inner estrangement from God. He says, people cannot save themselves. Not by blood. Not by ethnicity. Not by family. Not by parental willpower. 
I just do enough family worship times, my kids are going to believe. No. I hope so. But not by parental willpower. Not by human invention. Not by human intuition. And definitely not by merit. We are no hope. We are dead meat. We cannot self-arise. We all like phoenixes, right? We all like phoenixes and feel-good stories. I'm sure we'd love to see Clemson's offense rise from the dead. That wasn't in my notes. Sorry. (laughs) We we all like, you know, rising from the ashes and overcoming against all odds. Like Rudy. You know, we love that stuff. John says, here in this passage, as my two-year-old has learned to say, too bad, so sad. And it really is to a point. And that point is that while acknowledging the impossibility of making ourselves a child of God, God's grace knows no such boundaries. Friends, the Word is not only the agent of creation, the Word is the agent of new creation. Through Him, God causes rebels cut off from Him to be born again. And brought into his family. And I just want us to hear it here. That as an act of sheer and free grace. The life. The life that was in him. Has been placed inside of you. (laughs) That's why the lights turned on. That's why under the word of the gospel. You suddenly saw the beauty. You would never ever for all eternity. Want to unsee. You saw God in Christ as your Redeemer. Where's the song go? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon filled with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Man, however dissimilar the details, this is what's happened to everyone who is a Christian. How freeing to see how grace means that none are hopeless. Any may come. All are called to believe, and none then are ever to despair. I can't be saved. God is in the business of adopting to himself a new creation family, verse 12, by the grace of the word. By him, the right is given us to become the children of God. But now back to it. I'm sorry. I hear all that, but I just can't, I just won't believe in a God and Father that I cannot see. Aren't we something? Well, here's mercy for Thomas and amazement for all. Verse 14. And the Word became and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we just step back from that and go, what just happened? What just happened? What happened was we received a better app. This is John's big reveal. And what the rest of the gospel is going to unfold and unpack for us over many decades. (laughs) Maybe. We'll we'll see. 
the Word of life and light, the Creator of all, true God of true God, without ceasing to be so, this all-glorious person fully took to Himself a nature like our own, minus the sin. In Him, God became also, listen, a man of history. A man that John could point to. A man that could be, as our John says elsewhere, 1 John, a man that could be seen, a man that could be looked upon, a man that could be heard, a man that could be handled, a man that could be touched. He became, as the Greek word here precursors, the theater of God to us. God in the flesh, fleshed out for us, even the very temple of God in our midst to know what glory we are given to see even through His veil of flesh. What majestic humility we see here. That God would become not just a man. That's an infinite condescension in and of itself. Not just a man, but a servant to man. That He would take on flesh and blood just so that that flesh might eventually be torn. (laughs) Blood eventually be poured out and spilled for the sake of our salvation. That He'd be willing to be opened up as it were, that barren sinners like us might be filled with the fullness of truth and grace. Is this not what we need most of all? Is He not what we need most of all? Is He not, verse 15, the sum of great John's witness? And is He not, verse 16, also then the exceeding embodiment of all that God required and necessitated by Moses? Friends, listen. Uh, There is no salvation by the law, but there is a Savior in it. And here for the first time, For the first time, He's given a name. The name upon which we are to believe. Oh, the law was given through Moses, John says, but the grace and truth to which the law pointed, what's the word He uses here? Came through, here's the name, Jesus Christ. That's a title. If Moses was starlight, one says, Jesus was the noonday. To know Jesus is to know grace and truth. To know Jesus is to know God. To know Jesus is to know the very heart of God. You ever wondered about it? You ever wondered about His heart? Then turn your eyes upon Jesus. In one sense is true, John says, no one has ever seen God. Sin has done its worst to make sure of that. But here John says, the only God who is at the Father's side, or as it could be translated, in the, the breast of the Father, He has made Him known. Jesus is the image of, Of the invisible God. Indeed as one reformer concluded. We have the very breast of God. Laid open to us in the gospel. In his son. In Jesus Christ. That's why he came. That's why the word became flesh. To make God known to us. Especially as this self-sacrificial redeemer of sinners. And it's that glory that we get to see. As we go forward with Jesus in the Gospel of John. Unbelieving friend. John has written. We'll say this later on at the end of the Gospel. He's written that you might believe. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. And that by believing. You may have life in His name. All of our prayer. Is that you would do that right now. You believe upon Jesus. 
Beloved, I know we, we want application, we love application, and so here is some application. As if for the first time, let's just stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Right? Uh, towards the end of his comments on this section, the old Anglican J.C. Ryle, he, he asked this, can we ever give too much honor to Christ? Can we ever think too highly of Christ? And uh, Ryle essentially answers no, and he continues like this. He says, let us learn to exalt Him more in our hearts and rest more confidingly the whole weight of our souls in His hands. As Christ is the, the meeting point between God and the sinner's soul, no man ever errs on the side of giving too much glory to Jesus. John certainly will not err there. As said, it's debatable. Anyone loved Jesus more than John. Who found in Jesus this perfect revelation. This perfect communication of God's truth and grace and even just of God Himself. And so my prayer for us then as we start out is that whatever love for God we've let fall by the wayside. We now begin to rediscover and have rekindled by just being around Jesus. The Word made flesh. In Him, we get what we see. And it's more than our souls could ever want or need. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. What glory is in it. And we just pray for your glory and for our joy in Christ that you would bury these truths deeply within our hearts and cause them to bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.